Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Wow. There's a, uh, a beautiful, I know we say this, I feel like often, but there's a really beautiful presence of God right now. And I just, I stand up here with, with trembling when you're in that, because I just want to partner with what the Lord is, is doing. Um, there are some things that I feel that are on my heart that really connect even just, uh, I believe, what's going to happen here this morning. Uh, and so uh, we're going to hit the pause button on where we've been in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I just, I feel strongly to... Uh, speak into something, um, to be vulnerable in even some, some things that I, I just feel like I'm wrestling with, and, uh, and then I want to make room to, to pray for people. Um, but I, I, I feel in my own heart that there's been a measure of warfare, intense warfare, and, um, and I recognize that what I may share in some respect is something, maybe, maybe it's just me, maybe it's personal, but I, I, I can't help that as I get before the Lord, I know that it's something I'm wrestling with myself and I feel an intense attack. It's always been like this in my life. Um, but I feel like the ultimate objective, because of the place that God has called me to have in this body, is that it ultimately wants to hit this entire body. And, and I believe it's, it's connected to the way in which God has called us to present the gospel and the way in which God has called us to approach ministry, which is that we would be a people who embrace the power of God, that we would not see that as a, an add-on, that we would not see that as an option if you like that, because when the Bible was preached, there was only the gospel of power. Um, there, was, there was no options, uh, but today we can say, choose the gospel that you like. Do you want a little power? Do you want none? Or do you want what the Bible says? And I believe that what the Bible says is still true today. And I feel that there's a fight, and I feel it in my own heart. I feel, I feel the enemy wants me to be comfortable in ministering in such a place where there's no power, and I feel that's okay. And it's not okay. That's not a heavy-handed, but it's because Christ paid for something, and it's not the way of the Scriptures. And I don't want to move from this position. I don't want to become comfortable with it. I don't want to believe the lie that ministering in the power of God is secondary. It's just a secondary issue. Uh, We'll come back to that another point. I want to circle back to that. But I tell you this, if you believe that God has ceased to remove in power, it does not just affect a secondary doctrine. It affects every core doctrine that you hold to. You will find that those, as you go through traditional theology, once they cut out the power of God, it changes the gospel presentation. It changes what you think salvation is. It changes what you think the role of the Holy Spirit is. It changes what you think the kingdom of God is. Everything changes once you come to a place believing that God no longer moves in power. The ultimate, listen, when you look at Jesus' life, if you look at how the gospel writers, when they summarize what Christ came to do, and I mean when they boil it down to a verse or two, here's a few, here's your main scriptures, Luke 4.18. Jesus himself says, here's what I've come to do. Under the unction, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. So what he's talking about there is that this is actually a proclamation by the Spirit. So he's not just talking about reading off manuscripts. He's talking about the new covenant spirit, which is the prophetic spirit in his heart, speaking from that place. And when he does, he says, captives will be set free. The brokenhearted will find their hearts healed. Wholeness will come to creation. 
1 John 3.8, it says regarding Jesus that the Son of God appeared, manifested. Here's how John summarized it. To destroy the works of Satan. John, why did did Jesus come? Here's the best thing that John could say. He appeared to destroy the works of Satan. Jesus appeared, manifested, to literally slay the diabolical works of Satan. The, The crippling and debilitating effects of sin, Jesus came to deal with it. Acts 10.38, Peter is preaching to a Gentile Cornelius. We should listen in when Peter summarizes the message of Christ. He's trying to tell this Gentile who really has no grid for the Messiah what the Messiah has come to do. And here's the summary. He says that this Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit and went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That is almost word for word what Peter says. (laughs) So when you look at the scriptures and you see how the scriptures, I want to be solo scriptor, yes? (laughs) How do the scriptures actually testify to the mission of Christ? He ultimately came to inaugurate the kingdom of God, which is not a concept. It's not just a set of ideas. It is a realm of power. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God, and in doing so, he did it in charismatic power, healing, deliverance, gifts of the Spirit, speaking by the utterance of the Spirit. And when he did that, he ultimately displaced the physical and spiritual ruin of the kingdom of darkness, bringing wholeness and healing to creation. This is the banner over Christ's mission statement. And if we strip the power of God from that message, you no longer have the kingdom of God. We've moved from that. If we strip the power that is found in salvation... We domesticate the church and we train them to just cope with the assaults of Satan rather than to attack them. So when someone needs deliverance, we say, let's just medicate them rather than say, no, we're going to pray for breakthrough. Amen? So we, I feel in my spirit, I feel like God is telling me and I want to I share together, we, I feel like we're waging war this morning. I do. I don't know how else to say it, but I feel like I've felt such an intense battle over my life for a few weeks. And honestly, it's caused dryness in my heart. If I'm honest, I feel like I've, I've just like let it have my way. And I say, no more. No more. I'm not content to do that. And I can't promise what it will always look like, but I know that I know what the scriptures say and I want to contend for it. And I'm willing to pastor through the awkward moments. Because when this stuff happens, it gets awkward. I'm willing to pastor through the flesh that wants to rise in these things. I get that. But let me tell you something. There's just as much flesh when you do it the other way. I'm willing to pastor through the, the demonic imitations that want to arise. I get that happens. But if you shut everything down, you fall into another demonic trap, which is you have a form of godliness, but you deny its power. You become the essence of what the Pharisee is, who's orthodox in his teaching, but cannot discern the work of the Holy Spirit. What, what does that mean? A Pharisee is one who's orthodox in his teaching, meaning his teaching is generally and widely accepted as, that's true. The problem is when the Spirit of God starts moving, he has no clue what's going on. So we'll often call it demonic or false because he has no bearing for that. So I just refuse to fall into that. And I'm not going to let the enemy scare us <laughs> because these things happen. But we say, God, we know it's not, it's not even just about us, guys. This is what I believe the Scriptures say. I believe there's, a, there's it's like, Great reformation has happened in the church, but I believe there's reformation to the reformation. And we're restoring, uh, we're restoring what I think has been bypassed, the power of God. So, so I believe what I feel, the struggle that I feel, is really captured strongly in Paul's writing uh, to the church at Corinth. And ultimately what we're going to see is that Paul writes about these two wisdoms that were clashing at Corinth. 
And what happened is these two wisdoms, depending on which one you come under, the wisdom of man or the wisdom of God, ultimately it will produce two different gospel presentations or two different approaches to ministry. And, and Paul's going to speak strongly and remind them of how the gospel came to them. Not in the wisdom of man, but in the wisdom of God. And I feel God is reminding us, reminding me, um, that although we, we love to, to study and do all these things, that, that the gospel is more than a set of ideas. It is, it is a power that is demonstrated, and that this is, this is ultimately where the wisdom of God is. Amen? So we're going we're gonna to just expose this thing that I feel like wants to creep in. We're going to let the light of truth shine on it. It's going to wither. And then we're not just going to leave today. We're going to do what we're saying. <laughs> we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to wage war on the kingdom of darkness today. And so we're going to, we're going to contend for that. We're going to contend for over, if, you, if you're hungry for God, I believe God really wants to touch hearts today. If you feel a coldness in your heart, I believe God wants to touch you this morning. I really, really do. We're going we're gonna to believe what Christ's ministry is that he came to inaugurate his kingdom. And in doing that, he drives out, ekbalos the works of Satan. So I believe those works are going to be driven out this morning. So we're going to pray for sickness and bodies. We're going to pray for demonically tormented minds this morning. And we're going to trust that God is going to do what his word says. We're going to give space for that. Amen. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians, if you will. And again, I, I would normally be slow as you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'd normally be slow to ever share something if I felt like it was just something I'm dealing with because that's not what this is about This is today. But ultimately, we want Christ exalted in this. That, that's the main goal. But again, I feel, I feel as I lean into the Lord, I feel him whispering, this is bigger than you. <laughs> and that this is something that the enemy wants to destroy in this house. Um, he, he hates the power of God. <laughs> he hates it. <laughs> Because ultimately it destroys everything that he's trying to do in people's lives. And um, yeah, so I'll just leave it there. I'm going to let what's coming out in this text kind of frame what I've been wrestling through. And if you can identify, if you sense it, amen. And I just encourage you to journey with me in this because the full picture will, will come to place as, we, as we're going to land in chapter 2. All right, so I'm looking at, we're kind of summarizing the first three chapters of, of 1 Corinthians. Amen, we got the scriptures. Awesome. Um, so here's what I would say, and then we're going to jump in. Um, Paul is pastoring through a pretty, pretty tumultuous time in this church. It's pretty chaotic, and, and there's a lot of division and strife. Uh, there is factions developing, these splinter groups. As we're going to see, some are saying they follow Paul. Some are saying they follow Apollos. Others are saying they follow Cephas and Christ. And what I want you to see, and it will become clear as we journey through, that Paul says this, this faction and strife is the fruit of them moving from the way the gospel was presented to them by Paul through godly wisdom, and they're now embracing this wisdom of the world. And it's literally blowing up the church from the inside out. And, uh, and so Paul will present this almost as this clash of wisdoms, worldly wisdom, human wisdom versus godly wisdom. And again, the aim is what you'll see is depending on how, how, what you approach, that's how it'll, it'll affect the way that you present the gospel. So... In this, um, I see Paul really showing us that there's these two wisdoms competing for the control of the church. And I feel like that right now. <laughs> I feel like there's two wisdoms competing, at least in my heart right now, for how I am to lead people to Christ and ultimately um, 
cause them to grow and be discipled. And Paul's going to remind them, and I feel like God's like reminding us here today. So let's look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians verse 10. We're going to start with looking at this human wisdom, and then we'll progress through to how Paul came with the gospel. Are you guys tracking with me? So verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, no divisions, no strife, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. So there's division, there's quarreling, there's fighting. My brothers, why is that? Listen very carefully. Verse 12, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul. Another one saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, Peter, or I follow Christ. I don't know if I have this verse up here, but verse 13 says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So, hear me on this. This is important. I want to just show uh, what I believe is happening here. Um, Paul is describing the fruit of this humanistic worldly wisdom that has gotten a hold of the church. If you keep reading this, one of, the wi- one of the ways Paul describes this wisdom is he describes it as the wisdom of the world. And why he says that is because this is the wisdom that dominated the Greek world of the day. And so the pagan Greeks, this is what Paul is describing here is that they're falling into a trap of beginning to, beginning to embrace ministry and beginning to embrace the gospel in a way that the Greeks did when they tried to make converts. Not biblical converts, but converts to their teachings. So the way it would work in the Greek culture is they would have these great philosophers. Actually, Paul will say at the end of chapter 1, he calls this wisdom uh, the wisdom of the philosophers of the age. This is the very wisdom, he says, that, that is, is how the Greeks operated. So here's what the philosophers would do. They would enter into the arena, if you will. Uh, Aropagus in Acts 17, Paul goes there. It's also known as Mars Hill. This is where the great debaters would come. Uh, Socrates and, and Plato and many others who wanted to emerge onto the scene and they would enter into this arena and these individuals were masters and so skillful in being able to present their ideas and try to win people through debates. And so what happened is that they would come and they would present their newest idea, they would present their doctrine and whoever could win out in the intellectual debate proved to be superior. So all these guys would come and say, well, I say this, well, I say this. And people would listen, and whoever came out on top in that debate, they'd say, well, I follow him. Well, I follow him. And what Paul is saying is, guys, that same approach to trying to win hearts is what's coming into the church now. You're creating an arena where you're coming in and trying to just present who has the best ideas, who has the superior doctrine. And the result is, some are saying, I follow Apollos. Some are saying, I follow Paul. Some are saying, they follow Peter. Some are saying, I follow Christ. And what's happened is Paul says, you've taken the gospel. Now think about this. These are Greek-influenced Christians. So this is the system that they're coming out of. So this is what they're used to. So they've taken their newfound Christian religion, and they're cramming it into this pagan system. And what they're trying to do is is they're taking the gospel, and they have reduced it to an interesting set of ideas, concepts, principles, nothing more than doctrines. And they're essentially trying to explore it through human debate and intellectual jousting. And whoever can come out on top of those debates is proven to have superior doctrine. We follow him. And Paul says, this is not the way that the gospel came to you. 
This is not the way that you win hearts. This is, not, this is the knowledge. This is the system of the world. This is not the system of God. And as we'll keep on reading, what you'll find is that this wisdom, this approach of trying to win people through just presenting the gospel as just a good set of ideas, trying to say, well, I have superior doctrine than this man, so you should come over to this side. If you do that, this wisdom is rooted in competitive and this prideful, arrogant spirit. It's rooted in this place of we just try to best one another. Throw your ideas in there and let the best man win. That, that is the, pro, it's, it's, the, it's the way of the world. It's not how Paul ministered to them. It's disruptive. It's boastful. It's arrogant. It ultimately seeks reputation and status. It wants everyone to say, look how much I know. And which the Bible would say, it seeks the praise of man. Look, look, look how, look, look, look at me. I know better than this man. You should come over to this side. I, I have a firmer handle. You should come into our group and not be with them. I tell you, this type of approach, when we completely try to win hearts through this type of presentation, it breeds professionalism. It, it begins to say there are only a few who have a real handle of this. The rest of you need to hear from the professionals for what God has to say. Beloved, that completely wages war on the spirit of the new covenant. For Jeremiah 31 says that God would give his spirit to us who believe in Christ, and that you would hear, God would write his word on your heart, and you would hear God speak to you personally. And it actually says, from the least to the greatest, all will know God, and no one will need a teacher. Now, what that means is not that we, we throw out the giftings of teaching and whatnot, but what it means is you're not solely relying on someone else to tell you what God is up to, what God has for your life. You actually now can hear God for yourself. That, that you're, not, you're not having to adhere to a man to say, I must listen to him in order to understand what God is saying for myself. Um, what I find is that when we embrace this type of system, where, again, we take the gospel, which is a gospel of life and power, where God moves in reality, and we say it's just this verbal instruction, and we try to win people that way, the, one of the fruits I found in that is that there will be a great deal of knowledge that comes forth and information but that information will tend to intimidate rather than edify. How do you know someone is operating with this type of spirit, this prideful spirit that wants to win through intellectual jousting? You'll notice the fruit of it is it actually will intimidate you rather than build you up. It'll be intellectually exciting but spiritually barren. Because it's detached from intimacy with God. <laughs> It's, it's presenting this whole picture of God void of actually like the living God in the midst of it. God is now just an idea, a theory, a concept, but God himself is not present in the very presentation itself. Amen? So what's the fruit of that presentation of the gospel when it's just ideas now and trying to intellectualize it to such a degree that, it, again, it's just, it's just theory, is, is that as we, as we present it, it puffs up. The fruit of that gospel presentation is it's a knowledge that puffs up. It produces pride in the people that are listening. Oh, we have a superior knowledge than those people over there. Our group is better because we see it this way. This is the, honestly, you could do a whole teaching on denominationalism, which I'm not against denominations, but again, we said last week the ism of it, which is we're superior or better because this is how we see things. Paul says, no, 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 no. This is not the way of the kingdom. What we want is not a knowledge that puffs up hearts, we want a knowledge that creates burning hearts, like the road to Emmaus. And this, this is the way that Paul is going to bring the gospel. I want to be clear in something, that I'm, I'm, just, I'm just priming us for what we're about to do. <laughs> so that's all. I want to be clear in something, that, that I'm not anti-intellectual. 
I'm actually very opposite of that. I I'm, I'm pursue schooling. I'm still in schooling. Um, but what I am is I'm anti-intellectualism. <laughs> Again, as I just said, the ism is we're superior because of our knowledge. This is how the Greeks operated. We have a better group than yours because we hold to this belief on this issue. Paul says, no, 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 this is not the way of the kingdom. Um, actually, what you'll find is that this is the same spirit that was operating in the Pharisees and the scribes that approached Jesus. So you can go to many different places. One in particular is Matthew 23, where uh, Jesus gives the woes to the Pharisees. And one of the things he says is, woe to you, you make your phylacteries wide. That's a, they put this box on their head with the scriptures. You make it really wide so people can see how knowledgeable you are. He says you like to hang your tassels really long so that you would be seen by man. What is, that's the system of the world. It's after the praise of man. This is how it's trying to win people. It's, try, it's arrogant boastful saying, look at how much I know. That actually intimidates people rather than builds them up and edifies them. And in the end of that, Paul, uh, Jesus gives one of the most sobering statements. He says that you actually shut the door of the kingdom in the face of those people. In other words, you destroy kingdom faith in, in your hearers. And then he says, you yourself don't enter, and you don't let others enter either. And even worse, he says, you're very aggressive to make disciples, but in the end, you make them worse off than they were before. How many times have you heard this? Just, we're going to see how Paul did this in a moment. So I'm just, I'm just showing you this one system. I want you to be able to discern it when you hear it and say, wait a minute. We're all for teaching. We're all for that. But hold on. This is, this is operating by a different spirit. How many times have you ever read when, when the Pharisees came up to Jesus and he did a miracle, they'd often say this. By what authority did you do this? Have you ever read that? Why are they saying that? Because Jesus didn't go through their rabbinic schools. And what they're really saying is, how in the world can you do this because you're not in our group? And if you're not in our group and you didn't go through our, and you didn't go through our schooling, you lack the necessary training to be able to do something like this. It's impossible for you to do this. How do you have the authority to do this? You're not with us. Don't you know we are the sole authority? Don't you know we know? And if God's going to do that, he'll do it in our group. The essence of Phariseeism is that it cannot imagine or understand how the Holy Spirit can work outside of its group. It thinks this is the only way God, if God's going to work, it has to be through us because we, we are the superiority on this. And it stands in, in complete confusion when it sees God operating outside of that. And here's the sad part is no matter how much kingdom fruits was right in front of their eyes, they literally saw a blind man from birth he, that he could see. They did not care. The only thing they cared about is show me your credentials. What authority are you doing? I don't care that the man sees. You're not with us. You're not allowed to do this. <laughs> That's the fruit of this system saying, no, 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 we have the better group. We have the superior teaching. We have the superior knowledge. If you're not with us, you're not able to perform this. And again, Paul says, this is not the way of God. And don't be surprised. They did it to, to Jesus. They did it to his disciples. <laughs> Acts 4, they said, how are you doing this? You're uneducated, ordinary men. But clearly they've been with Jesus. <laughs> That's the only thing they can come to. Um, here's something that's incredibly sobering in this, is that Paul not only describes this as the wisdom of the world, it's the wisdom of the philosophers of the age, it's the way that they won people to their teachings, but he says this, he says this wisdom is passing away. These are all phrases right in these first three chapters. It's passing away, it's coming to nothing, it's futile, it's shamed by the foolish of the world, and then most sobering of all, he says in chapter 2, he says that this wisdom 
is actually the wisdom of the rulers of the age. And what, what phrase is that? That's Paul's phrase for spiritual beings created by God, for God, that re- rebelled against God and now are ultimately demonic fallen spirits. He says that competitive, prideful, elitist spirit, that's what operates in fallen spirits. James doesn't even go beat around the bush. James 3 says, be careful that you don't reject wisdom from above and embrace another wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He's speaking to the believers, and he says this wisdom, what's the fruit of it? It's bitter and jealousy, and it's rooted in selfish ambition. It's not really after the kingdom. All it wants to do is win people to themselves. Isn't it interesting that when that wisdom operates, who are you actually winning people to? Some follow Paul. Some follow Cephas. If you look at who everyone wants to adhere and say, oh, I follow this group, I follow this group, I want to go back to what the Bible says in Acts. Where are the titles and say, here's what I follow. I'm known as the way. <laughs> uh, here, I belong, to, I belong to him. I'm not against ha- with the positions we stand in, but, man, Jesus, when that becomes the wisdom, and this is what Paul's going to say, is when you bring the gospel in such a way to try to impress with lofty speech and knowledge in this degree, he says you actually lead people to boast in you rather than in the power of God. And now Jesus becomes one option among many. Paul, Cephas, Apollos, and then there's Christ. Pick which one that you want. So he calls it, it's a demonic wisdom. So let's look at, look at, look at uh, verse 17. I'm still in chapter 1. Here's where Paul just outright rejects it. And this it gets clearer and clearer here. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, Paul says, For Christ did not send, send me to baptize you, uh, he wasn't against baptism. Part of what was also compounding this issue is that whoever baptized, they were also adhering to those people. That was another way that they felt that they were superior. Um, so this, this was being mixed into it. So Paul believed in baptism, but he was addressing a certain issue. But he said, but I came to preach the gospel. Now listen carefully. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So this now begins to get clear as to what was happening is that people were trying to win one another and, di- and new converts through eloquent wisdom. Paul says, that's not the way I presented the gospel to you. The Greeks loved rhetoric. They loved, they loved this type of approach. Paul says, that's not the way I came. It's not the way of the kingdom. When we embrace, look, look at the alternative. When we embrace a gospel presentation that's merely hinging on eloquent words, what you do is you strip the cross of its power. You strip it of its power, and here's why. is because God, God is repulsed by the proud. And what this presentation says, when I rely on eloquent words, it says, I'm strong enough, I'm wise enough to articulate this gospel in such a way that I can win people through it. I'm, I'm strong enough, I, I'm clever enough, I'm skillful enough, like the philosophers of the day, to so craft perfect messages that I can, I can win you in that way. And Paul says, when you do that, you actually strip the gospel of power. You'll actually see that the gospel, in order for there to be power, it requires us not to come in as proud, confident orators, but in weak, humble servants. Guys, why is there so much powerlessness in the pulpits and pews in the West? I believe it's not because God has ceased to work this way. It's because there's so much pride. We're so confident that we're so wise. Oh, I can win them with all of the knowledge. I can track out every doctrine, which is beautiful to know these things. I'm not devaluing that, but that's not the way that the gospel was presented. Paul came low. Listen, if if you feel discouraged, how can you follow Christ? Know this. It's in weakness. It's in weakness. This is what Paul's going to say in chapter 2. 
God's power is drawn to the weak, not to the proud and confident. Our first step this morning is to say, God, no matter how well I can craft and argue, I can't win people through debates. We need raw demonstrations of the power of God. And I feel, so that's this wisdom that's trying to, that I feel on my own life, saying, Andrew, just start to get comfortable with just being able to, to jostle with people and joust with them in, in the intellectual arena. I, I want to be able to speak on those things, but I want, I want, I want Jesus to be seen. <laughs> I want the God of the Bible to be seen. After all, 1 Corinthians 4.20, what does it say? The essence of the kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. That's what Paul's getting at. He says, you've got people coming in who all they do is talk. They're just constantly talking. You know what's really amazing is that today, if you go for power, you're claimed to be false. It's just mind-blowing. In Paul's day, if you just talked with no power, Paul says, those are the false ones. Watch out for those. Now, I'm not trying to create division in that, but I just want you to know, like, (laughs) Paul says, this is actually the sign of something authentic is when God's moving in a tangible, tangible way. Amen? Um, The fruit of this, when we rely on our eloquent words, uh, and that becomes where our source of confidence is, I believe what ha- the fruit of that is that we begin to inform rather than train. And if you look at the way Jesus discipled, Jesus trained. Uh, this, what this type of approach does is it reduces discipleship almost completely to a verbal set of instructions and says, basically the extent of discipleship is the classroom now. I love to teach. I love to be in the classroom. But the way Jesus taught was he actually modeled charismatic power and then called his disciples to practice it. So this is, this is, this is what I mean, is that this, this approach will be just fine with, again, just instructing verbally in theology and ethics and then saying, now you're a mature Christian. That's not the way Jesus discipled. He said, you're not mature until I see you modeling the very thing that I was walking in and actually practicing it. So here's what you're going to do. Come follow me. Matthew 4, he says, follow me, calls them fishing. What's the next thing he does? It says he proclaims the kingdom and heals and delivers. Who's with him at that point? His disciples. They're watching him do this stuff. And then he's eventually he's going to train them, and then he's going to send them out to do themselves. What does he train them in? He doesn't train them like in, 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 I don't know, just like these fleshly things. He trains them how to operate in faith, prayer. These things are essential to be extensions of the ministry of Christ. Amen. So let's, let's just finish off here in chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I just want you to see what Paul says here. First Corinthians chapter 2, and then we're going to pray. So Paul makes it abundantly clear now. He's rejecting this worldly wisdom. He's embracing a godly wisdom. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, he's not against wisdom. What he is against is the wisdom of the world. Amen? So he says, I didn't come with lofty speech. In other words, I didn't come with this superior speech. I didn't come as the philosophers of the age do, trying to win your heart through this over-intellectualization of the gospel. Paul would certainly teach and reason, but he said, I came, I came differently. Um, notice he also says, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech. The testimony of God here is not a contrived message. In other words, Paul said, what Paul's saying is, I didn't come to you with a pre-prepared three-point sermon. 
But when Paul says, I come to you with the testimony of God, he's saying, I'm coming to you with real-life accounts and experiences of what God has been doing, and I shared that with you. Why would Paul reject coming with lofty speech or wisdom and having to come in power? Here's why. Because when you come to cities like Corinth that are rooted in perversion and pride, a philosophical message will not do. And when we come into cities like Mastic Beach, our own wisdom, our own intellect, our greatest articulation and communication of ideas will never be able to break into a city like this. We need to contend, I speak to myself, for raw demonstrations of power that separate people from the torment that they have been in for years. Paul says, that's why I didn't come to you like this, because that's not what you need. You don't need another philosophical message. You don't need another interesting set of ideas that we've called the gospel to throw in with all these other things. What you need is to see that God is the true God. So he says, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. What's he saying? He's saying, I didn't come proud, I didn't come lofty, but I came in weakness. Why? Because that's how Christ came. When he says, I only preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, although he certainly preached on the little cross, what he's emphasizing more here is not like just the literal cross, but what the cross represents, which is weakness. Why does Paul come in weakness? Because that's how Christ came. Guys, Jesus is the wisest man ever. He could have come and said, puffed up and said, let me show you and tell you all of the deep things that I know. I can come as the greatest orator. I can come as the most skilled communicator. But Jesus came as a humble servant and embraced the cross. And Paul says, the reason why I don't come that way is because that's not how my master came. So Paul says, I don't come as a proud, confident orator. I don't rely on that because Jesus didn't. Instead, I too embrace weakness. And Paul says in embracing weakness, let me be clear, he's not embracing powerlessness, but the means to see real power. Embracing weakness, he says, I don't rely on my own strength, but Paul would subject themselves to situations where, God, if you don't show up, we have nothing. (laughs) We have nothing. (laughs) This is why, hand raised high, this is really hard to minister this way because, because I rather, it's really easy to rely on, to run in lanes where you feel strong, where you feel confident, where you feel really skilled, where you feel really knowledgeable. And then God says, let me call you into a lane where the only thing you can rely on is this, I show up or you've got nothing. <laughs> and and the, the, the tendency in my own heart, again, is I rather cling I like, I like the other way. It's easier. <laughs> but it's, you know it takes humility to walk in the miraculous? This is what, I, that's what I'm going back to before, is that why is there so much powerlessness? I actually believe it's, it's the pride of the West that is so self-sufficient in, in its knowledge and information and its systems and its, its advertisement programs to win people that, that it's literally cut out the power source. I, I really, really believe that in my, in my heart. <laughs> and I believe it actually takes humility. Heidi and Roland Baker, who literally have turned Mozambique, Africa, upside down over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. I mean, literally, it's Book of Acts happening right now. The stories, the things that happen, 
Yeah, it's, it's glory is exploding in there. It's unbelievable. The, I mean, thousands of churches have emerged when, when they got there. People didn't even know who Jesus was. This is still going on right now. And they write extensively that they've learned that the key, if you want to say that word, um, it's not the best word, but the principle that they've really learned is that if you want to walk in the miraculous and see the power of God, you need humility. You need childlike humility to acknowledge we can't do this without you. <laughs> Amen? And so... Um, he embraces weakness because Christ embraces weakness. And this is where power is found. And then in verse 4, he says, And my speech and my message were not implausible or persuasive words. I didn't use the art of persuasion like philosophers do. Um, not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power. There it is. This is godly wisdom now. <laughs> Paul's not opposed to wisdom. He says, but I didn't rely on my strength. I did have strength, but it was God's strength. And God's, the foolishness of God shames the, the, the strength of man. And so he says, but I came in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is how he came. And I want to, uh, I want to share a quote by uh, Gordon Fee before we um, open up and pray this morning. Um, he says it better than I could, and so I don't want to mess it up. It's a few verses here or, or sentences. But regarding what we just read of how Paul came, he says this. He says, although Paul's preaching lacked, indeed deliberately avoided the very thing that now fasc fascinates the Corinthians, the persuasion of wisdom, Paul did not thereby lack persuasion. So what he's saying is, okay, Paul, he, he avoided the persuasion that man wanted, but do not for once think that he lacked persuasion in his gospel presentation. He says, after all, they came to faith through it. That's what it just said. So Paul's gospel was very persuasive, but he did not do it in the way that fascinated the, the Greeks at that time. He said what it lacked was the kind of persuasion they now delight in, where the power lay in the person and his delivery. Paul's preaching had no such power. Rather, it had the real thing, the power of the Spirit at work, despite or even through Paul's weaknesses. So Paul rejects the wisdom and the persuasive wisdom of man, which that wisdom rests on how the delivery of the one who gives the message. Paul rejects that and says, no, this is persuasive, but it's based on the real power of God, the Spirit of God working in your midst. And then finally, again, let's just read verse 5. He does all of this so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. <laughs> now, this is amazing. Uh, this phrase, this, this phrase in today's culture would be deemed, I actually think it would be deemed heretical. Your faith is in the power of God? No, your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we would say. See, but here's where I go back to where we started. <laughs> For these guys, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of power. <laughs> faith in your Lord Jesus Christ meant faith in the power of God that was displayed through that. See, they didn't present, as I said, and we stop here, they didn't present different options saying, you can have this gospel, which is now just concepts, and it's intellectualized. You can have a middle road, or you can have the gospel of power. No, there was only one. And so for them, to put, the gospel, to put your faith in the power of God meant to put it in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that was revealed through him. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to have some, some help here this morning um, with a few of our trusted friends in this body. Um, but I want, to, I want to pray. I want to demonstrate the very things that we just said this morning. And ultimately what I want to lead us into is opening an altar 
to pray for encounters and experiences with God. And I believe that's going to happen this morning. Um, because I want you to know, we taught, we know, that's important, we have to reason and show things, but the gospel is more than that. And I want us to see it in action this morning. And so if you are in need of a touch from the Lord, if you're hungry from God, man, if there, whatever it is, we want to pray for you to actually experience God this morning. And I also want to say, um, especially for any type of, uh, we need healing, deliverance, um, we want to open that up as well. But before we do that, I wanted to have um, uh, Pastor Caesar, Crystal, Dina, I asked them, and I didn't know if you were going to be sick today, actually, so feel free to, to join in, Pastor Johnny. But I'm going to ask them to come up, and I want to actually just have some space first to um, just release some, some words from the Lord. All right, so if you've never been a part of this, this is moving in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we want to share the testimonies of God, as Paul said. We don't want to just come with a pre-planned message, but God has been doing things in this body, and so we want to share these testimonies to stir faith for this morning. Um, I'm going to ask some of them I've asked to pray and really just hear from the Lord on, on maybe some words of knowledge. Uh, if you've been around our body at all, you've maybe experienced that. If you haven't, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll find in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, you'll see Jesus operate in it. You see the disciples operate in it. We've operated in it. It still remains. The ultimate aim of that word of knowledge is for you to know that God knows something about you. Uh, and it comes through a person that could not possibly know that without God's, God's interaction or God's intervention, I should say. And what the purpose of that word of knowledge is, is for, us to, for you to know that God knows you, he sees you. And he doesn't just want to stop there, but he reveals it because he wants to do something about it. The Bible says in 1 John 5 or, or, or 4, it says that we have faith to pray. We have confidence to pray when we know we're praying according to God's will. And what a word of knowledge does is it brings us into immediate awareness of God's will for a situation. So that, therefore, we can all have confidence to say, wait a minute, if God highlighted this ailment, it's not just to say, wow, that was really cool, <laughs> but it's so that we would now have a faith Faith has been revealed through that word to now pray and see God actually do something in the midst of that. Amen. So I'm going to ask the individuals to come up. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.